Welcome to the Scale Ups Podcast, where each week you get to hear Sean Steele, professional CEO, growth mentor, and advisory board chair, unpack the strategies that successful founders have used to achieve scale in their businesses. Stay tuned as he interviews the entrepreneurs who've made it, learns from industry experts, and follows a group of founders still striving to scale. G'day and welcome to the Scale-Ups Podcast, where we help first-time founders learn the secrets of scaling so they can fulfill the potential of their business, make bigger decisions with greater confidence, and maximize the value they can create in the world. I am your host, Sean Steele, and I am joined today by Owen Franklin, uh, CEO of Blue Summit Supplies. Uh, Owen, you know, this is this is probably the first, this is definitely the first podcast that I've done with somebody who's uh, not somebody who's at home, pretty much everyone's at home, right? Uh, but somebody who's at home with COVID, but feels well enough to do a, a to do a podcast. So I think we should start there because you've you've had a vaccination and you've got COVID, but you're at home, right? And you would normally be in the office. Yeah, yeah, we we have a studio, a, a podcast studio at my office, and um, we have a great team there that, that sets all that up. And you know, I was planning on doing that there, even though it is later, you know, our central time. I'm in the U.S., but um, trying to be a responsible adult. You know, we got I got exposed a little over a week ago now, and um, mm-hmm. the individual texted me, so I went and got a PCR test and a rapid test, and the rapid test was negative, but the PCR test was positive. And I actually got yeah. up the next morning and ran four miles in 85 degree heat, which I think is like I don't know, like <laughs> 35 Celsius, 32, you know, something like that. Yeah, I mean, decent and warm. It's hot, you know, really hot, and felt mm. great. So, like, I in the last couple of days, I've had like a vertigo, but I, I don't know if that's anything to do with COVID. It just may be a coincidence. Like that's happened a couple of times in the last year. Or so, but no, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't feel one hundred percent. But um, I like talking about this stuff. So, you know, pain is all here. So um, I'll probably yeah. forget about it till the podcast is over, and then I'll start feeling bad again. But um, <laughs> at least you, you've removed my pain for an hour. How about that? There you go. Um, I can distract but you I mean, at least for now. Me having COVID, I'm sure this part of the discussion. It's pretty fitting, right? Is that I mean that totally. that word has unfortunately been a big part of our lives the last you know 18 months. Big time, and actually just a huge part of business and the changing nature of how we've had to get things done and the way people think and what people are willing to accept and what they won't accept anymore. And yeah, I think it's 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 changed a lot. Well, before we get into COVID, uh, like I can't wait to dig in uh, together today. You and I had a great chat uh, offline uh, a couple of weeks ago and our listeners will understand why in a moment. For those who don't know Blue Summit Supplies or yourself, you, you used, your, your background was you're a thermal engineer uh from alabama you founded this company only five years ago which is crazy 2016 right you're an e-commerce company manufacturing and distributing office supplies private label items on amazon and other platforms and on your own site but wait for it you're already the largest third-party seller of office supplies on amazon your first employee other than you was only three years ago in 2018 in the last three and a half years you've grown to at last count, what, 35 staff and $30 million in revenue? Is that right? Yeah, I think we're like at... I, I, I have a hard time keeping track of both of those numbers now. Um, they're both about the same. Um, I think we have like 38 employees. Um, 38. And I just we just got done through some 2022 projections, and I think we're probably looking like 38 to 42 million next year. Wow. Um, just trying to kind of figure out where we're... You know, like this year, we're, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, talking about scaling. It's like we're like doing some like seriously detailed forecasting like on a skew level and then we're tying forecasting to you know budget increases to each department it's kind of cool like like this is all new like we just like yeah let's just grow as fast as we can and now we're like 
literally detailing forecasting by skew by month yeah. with a complicated model with inputs. Um, but yeah, that's where we well, are today. that doesn't today. surprise me, given your engineering background. Yeah, it's kind of fun. I can only imagine the, yeah, it's, the it's level fun. of forecasting yeah. that's going to occur. Well, I mean, it's, it's, this uh, is new. I mean, we, we did not do this before. Um, we did it for other things. Yeah. We did it with cash. We were very detailed about cash flow forecasting. Um, but but now we're, we're doing it from a revenue and profit perspective. Awesome. Well, like, it, there's just so many places that you and I can go today. So just maybe as a starting point, can you give us a bit of an overview of the business, maybe through the lens of who's a typical customer, you know, what are their problems and, and how are you solving those? Sure. So we sell a lot of our, we, we sell, the business started on Amazon and um, a lot of the revenue still comes from there and we expand it and we have our own channel, bluesomewithsupplies.com. We sell, you know, on their competitor, Walmart. Um, we sell a little bit internationally on Amazon's marketplaces. And um, we generally the buyers are small companies. We actually started selling QuickBooks envelopes. So envelopes, right. um, you know, QuickBooks owns like 80% of the market. And, um, and we actually, des- I actually designed the envelope, like the windows to make sure it fit, you know, in a certain orientation. So like the, 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 the address showed, but like it didn't show the check amount or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And that's where it started with 500 boxes of, of envelopes. And, um, wow. it's a funny story about how we, you know, had to find the supplier. I mean, we could go into that, but, but, um, you have to be careful. You're going to have to kind of hold me on target here, but yeah, um, that's cool. but I mean, so the, so, so the, so so the end users so are so the biggest end user is actually is small companies rather than small right? companies generally, yeah. and, and it's it's very much the long tail of the internet. You know, where mm-hmm. it's a lot of transactions, not very high dollar value. You know, probably yeah. twenty five to thirty five dollars, depending on on the um, the season, yeah. and um, you know, in in the the it's stuff that people use, and we we buy it direct from the most efficient factories in the world, and we 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 are building a lean supply chain, and we sell it inexpensively. You know, we're, you know, we sell some of the lowest priced office supplies on the internet. Um, you know, we we're you know very economic against. I mean, um, you know, very cost competitive against, especially stuff in like price um, and envelopes and folders against Office Depot and Staples. Yeah. But we work with a lot of the same factories, a lot of the same products. Um, you know, we just, we just have an, you know, a, a pretty intense focus to make sure that quality is consistent. I mean, it, you know, folded piece of paper, it's kind of hard to mess it up, but like, you, you know, you, you can, you know, it can be, and it's kind of one of those things that like, you don't really notice until you notice, and then it's very annoying, mm. you know? And so, um, but we, I think we've done a very good job of, of building really good relationships with global factories, with good economics. And so our customers, would they consistently get a good product that's inexpensive? Well, that's how it began. So... Let me let me take you back uh, a step because I I want to talk to you about um, things that have happened along the way uh, that have helped you scale and also of course you know mistakes that have happened along the way that have been you know just you had some challenges along the way as we as we all have um, so in the one of the I just wanted to jump back to a couple of things that you said first of all you said that you've got sounds like you've got quite a strong price. Um, advantage in a lot of areas how is it that you've generated a price advantage what is it that you're doing differently that allows you to offer that to customers i mean amazon's been a big part of that amazon offers a you know amazon is unbelievably efficient from a, from a back-end perspective you know what's funny is is they're like they have this i think they did like 600 billion like trailing t30 like like tra- trailing um you know t- trailing 12 months um and like they have this like great website but they're like this is one website right but their infrastructure is just just remarkable so we use you know a lot of the economic advantage we've got is using you know you know being a third-party seller there and then two we've 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 met some really good factories and we worked very hard to build factory relationships and we have built good relationships and, and kind of sold them on the fact that we're going to grow and we're going to aggressively pursue growth and we're going to aggressively pursue getting customers and, mm-hmm. and, and growing SKU count and, um, 
you know, and, and you know, the way it kind of works is, you know, you got to think about it. Let's say an item has a 30%. Let's say an item has a 70% gross margin. So that means that, that the cost of goods sold makes up 30% of the product's uh-huh. price. And, um, you know, and let's say that Office Depot is a behemoth company. You know, let's say they have um, a 10% cost advantage on us, um, which is pretty large, actually. Like, like you know, the, the way economics work with, with mass production is, is like, you know, if you produce one box of envelopes, it costs mm-hmm. way up here. If you produce 100, it costs here. If you produce 1,000, it costs here. If you produce 1,000, if you produce a million, it's mm-hmm. only like here. At some point, you reach, you know, diminishing marginal returns and it, you don't get any better you know, through scale, you don't really say that much. And we're kind of playing in that area. Now they probably sell more than we do, but we still play in that area. And so like, even if they were 10% cheaper from a cost of goods sold perspective, that's only 10% of 30% of the actual cost mm-hmm. of revenue, right? So with that math is they would only have a 3% cost advantage yeah. to us, to revenue. And that's just, that's not a lot of money on a $25 item. And so like, it, it may be that, that, you know, we're buying stuff at, 25% more expensive than they are for a box, but they sell that box like 60 bucks, you know, and it really doesn't make a difference. I mean, there's a lot of inefficiency with overhead and with the retail stores or, you know, what it is that they do, whether it's, it's obviously or someone else is, you know, we, we're, we work with very good factories and we have a pretty similar scale to the big boys. And so we're able to offer similar prices without a lot of overhead excuse me, we're able to buy at similar prices. We don't have a lot of overheads. We're yeah. able to kind of make it work. Possibly. And it's worked so far. You know, we can see, you know, can we continue to scale that is the question, you know, because we have to add overhead. We have to add centralized employees and product managers and engineers. Can we make all that work and still keep this cost structure? We're going to have to figure it out. Back to the reason that you started the business. So, I mean, that you talked about the fact that you started with this, you know, you started with the envelopes, but then at what point did you go, Actually, actually, there's something really big here. Like there's something that I can really go after. I'm seeing a sort of bigger opportunity. What, what was the sort of the moment that led you to that? I don't I mean, I, it's, I don't think it was a moment. I think it was like stages of a moment. And I think okay. that, that, I mean, I think you have to, I mean, I started the business trying, I started the business by Googling how to make money on the internet. And then um, reading a couple of books and then Googling that, you know, I read like rich dad, poor dad's famous book. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with, with, with that book, but super famous, like introduction to entrepreneurship, we'll call it, you know, and I, um, I that's saw, how it kind of began. I saw Kiyosaki when I was 21 and it changed, it changed my life. Like, I mean, that day. book began it all, man, that mm-hmm. book and a book called, you know, for those of you who, who were thinking about beginning a, an entrepreneur journey, millionaire fast lane, it's a very similar book. I would call it like a modern version of, and that book changed my life. It really did with that book is the reason why I Googled how to make money on the internet, honestly. Right. Um, but, um, so, you know, I was trying to, like, I saw, I'm trying to make like five grand a month was my goal, like in profit. Mm-hmm. And so, and so you gotta think about like my mindset there to mindset now where, where my objective is to build a billion dollar revenue business by 2031 is my objective. Like that's a big mindset shift in five years, big. right? Um, and I think it was very tiered, but it was kind of like, When I found the category and I saw the economics that existed and the economics we could buy and what was being sold, I was like, dude, this is going to get big. And back then I thought big was like 5 million revenue or 2 million mm-hmm. revenue. But like, this is going to get big. And then I kind of started to get comfortable like spending real money. You know, like, you know, the first purchase order was like, you know, 10 grand. 
was a lot of money. Like I remember being stressed. I still remember the moment where I sent the, sent the email. I still remember the moment talking to my wife about it. You know, you know, it was, it was her and I were a big part of making the decision together to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, we started to spend real money. We found other categories like we're big in the folder space. And so we found a good factory there and we were able to kind of grow there. And then I started to kind of interact with these retailers like Office Depot and Staples and interact with Amazon. And, and Amazon, you know, was nice enough to invite me out to Seattle. And I began to see this B2B space that exists. Like there's, it's kind of a very, there's a lot of revenue coming from a lot of different places. And to me, there, it need, there needs to be some consolidation and organization and distribution. And like Amazon is doing a lot of this online, but it's a little bit different than how we're trying we're to proceed forward. But like to me, the opportunity is just too big. The, the the business consumable market in the United States is gigantic. You know, probably 80, 100, several hundred. You know, hundreds of. You know, probably not hundreds, but you know, probably over a hundred billion yeah. revenue. I mean, just just you know, anything from anything from toner to toilet paper to water yeah. or you know yeah. coffee. You know, it's 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 a it's a huge market, and um, so I, I mean, it's like, dude, like. And I began to like meet local companies that operate here in Huntsville and and interact with other people in the industry. I'm like, these people need to advance technology technologically and they need to embrace scale. They need to embrace efficiency. They need to build better systems. They need to build they're, they're not going to survive. And 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 I was like, I think I can do this a lot better. And I think that, you know, my vision the whole vision of the business is is, you know, to kind of kind of I guess kind of bring this full circle. Um, is like our core vision is to improve the lives of our sphere mm. of influence. So that like, yeah, that that is, so we define that as, about it briefly. Just unpack that. What do you mean by that? So we define that as everyone our operations touch. And so, and and that's important to me because that is our suppliers, our employees, our customers, our owners, our consultants, people like you, Sean, you know, our our people we meet online, people we interact with, you know, the goal of the business is to optimize for the whole. And I believe if we do that, let's take a supplier example. If we marginalize our supplier, He's not going to help us long term. He probably might fire us long term. But if we work together as a team, and sometimes we give and sometimes we take, it builds a much more sustainable mm-hmm. long term business. And so, to me, is like I see this. The, what's cool about distribution, especially something as big as this industry, is it's complicated. It's a very. I mean, look what Amazon is built. Look what Walmart is built. Look at these retail. They're, they're huge, complicated machines. You have to merge a human organization with a technology organization together. And, and to me is the way the stuff that we sell is distrib- distributed in the United States is inefficient. And I think we can do it more efficiently and we can offer our customers similar to better pricing with better service, with less work to get the product. You know, because remember, you know, buying a product has to do one is you have to go get it and mm. two, you have to pay for it. Both of those have cost. One is, one is monetary, one is time. Um, that's something that Amazon has done so well with the app, you know, for consumers. Um, and so, you know, our, our kind of vision there is it's kind of grown from 5,000 a month to like, man, this might be a couple million dollar business. Like, I think this is a seriously great opportunity to make small businesses more efficient. You know, as I, I like to say is I want to change how small businesses consume products and services in this country. And to me, it's kind of, it's kind of morphing into this thing of like, they're consuming this and they're buying that and they're doing this from all these different places. Like we need to pack that together, build a better mm-hmm. system and make it more organized and make it more efficient for them. It's kind of the, this bigger vision that's kind of snowballed into. And you, well, you mentioned to me but. that um, one of the issues around and, and part of the driver for this sort of opportunity to kind of optimize for the whole and, and within the sphere of influence was you could see that actually there were other players in the industry not doing that or, you know, they're kind of 
unintended or intended negative consequences with sort of power imbalances, which of course naturally occurs when you end up with some big players. But that was that was part of the sort of genesis for that. Yeah, <laughs> that was where it came from. I mean, Jeff Bezos says we start with a customer and work backwards. Those are his words. And dude, he has done one hell of a job. I mean, I and that guy. I mean, I it gives me chill bumps thinking about what he's built. I mean, just the vision and the the tactical ability to execute what he's built is. I mean, how much he's. I mean, this iPad is sitting on an Amazon box right now. I mean, it's crazy what he's done. Um, and what's funny is, I think in his last shareholder letter, he made a comment like, "We're going to be the best employer in the world," or the best you know, employee supportive company in the world now too. And so like, you know, I think he's embracing that, you know, but, but I felt like that if that's where he started to me, it just never, just didn't sit right with me. Everybody chooses how to run their own business, but that's kind of where that came from is like, I'm not just going to optimize for them. I want to optimize for all, because I think if we think very long term, mm. we're well, all what I like on the about it is it can also take, when you think about build, building an organization, you're also trying to find great people, right? And fundamentally, people are motivated by emotions and you know, you can, it, it allows you to take a business that may not be sort of sexy on the outside. It's like, okay, well it's, it's office consumables and office supplies. And it's like, well, how excited are they getting about the folder or the stapler or whatever? But it's like, but this actually has a real impact on people in the world. When you take this philosophy and you embed it in the culture of the organization and the people involved can see the impact that that's having on others, all of a sudden they have the opportunity to get excited about the business model regardless of the product because they're thinking about how do we create value in these human interactions, leveraging the efficiency of the system, you know, the systemization that we can build in this company to bring it together. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that I was discussing with one of my colleagues and they said, oh, and it's just office supplies. All we sell is office supplies. I said, you're very foolish if you think we only sell office supplies. And then I said, remember the book we just read? Simon Sinek says, people don't buy what you sell, they buy why you sell it. I think that's very, very important. Is the reality is, is that people need this stuff. And oh, Sorry, Owen, we just uh, you know, lost you for a second there. You said uh, the Simon Sinek book, um, we don't buy what you sell. Oh, so he said... Um, yeah, so he said, you know, start with why. You know, it's such a famous book. Um, and he says, people don't buy what, you know, what you sell, they buy why you sell it. I think that was you know, yeah. paraphrasing. But it's about why, you know. And um, to me, it's it's very much like I'm a human and I'm selling it and a human is buying it. And our job is to make a connection with that that buyer and build a relationship and the more we understand about them, the more we understand about their operations and their needs, we can do a better job for them. Also for us, to me, it, it's a lot It's a lot of fun. Like we have a party here. We call it our back to school party and we're supposed, we're supposed to have it like in a month. And I, we probably aren't going to be able to do it because of COVID because the cases are, are, are moving so quickly. Um, but like we have an opportunity where we'll, one of our factory partners in China, he came here with his whole family. And you have an opportunity to meet actual customers in the United States that he's, his, his product is sold to. That's cool. Like yeah. to me, that's kind of what this is about is like building this big system and then connecting human beings between, between the pieces. Like that's our job. Like we're the guy in the middle connecting the best factories in the world also, with the users. And we want to do it like in a very human way. Well, I think that's that makes the sense. whole point of automation and systemization. It's not making, it's not making the job and the business less human. It's creating the opportunity for it to be more human because then the humans that you have like, are not spending time on 
low value manual ta- low value manual tasks things that could be done better by a machine or a system or a process they've actually got greater capacity to bring creativity to create connections to create relationships to serve customers to create opportunities because they've actually got space to do so um so let me let me dig into a couple of the the key moments you know we've, we've talked about um you know, and I asked you the question, what, what were some of the kind of key moments or the key decisions that you made that you feel like really have helped sort of enable this rapid scaling of the business? Take, take me through some of those. Yeah, I mean, it was like, you know, is, you know, to me, it was very subtle, like slowly, like, you know, it's kind of like if you throw a frog in, in a boiling water, so he'll jump out. But if you put him in there and you, and you boil it, he never notices. Like to me, that's kind of what happened between 5,000 a month and now, my vision today um but there were some like times where i can look back and be like there were big like stretch moments we'll call them like big stressors that i had to get over you know i had to i had to get, let this get out of the way and um one of them was beginning i mean writing that um paying 80, 80 like eight thousand five hundred and fifty four dollars or something like that was a big moment you know that was a big risk and people thought the, i was a nut what job was the, I mean, what was the money for? that's the truth they wise it was the first product the yeah. first the first set of goods the first 500 envelopes like mm-hmm. to begin like that was the business you have to buy something and resell mm-hmm. it and i don't know if i'm gonna be able to resell it you know so that was a big step and then um getting comfortable spending you know 10 20 30 40 thousand dollars on a purchase order that was a big step and then quitting my job mm-hmm that was a huge step. It was that, you know, um, I've been told my entire life that this is what I'm supposed to do. I was to get a good job and have good benefits. And then now all of a sudden it says that I think I can add more value to the world and do bigger things by not doing that. And it was a mindset shit. I had to ch- like, mm. and that happened like in eight months, nine months. And so, so my wife and I made the decision, I'm going to quit my job. And then I started working with the Chinese. That was a big step. It was, it was, I remember where I was sitting at my family's condo at the beach and I sent my first PO to a Chinese vendor named Robin, who I ended up having an awesome dinner with in mm-hmm. Pinyang, China three months later. But but making that mental jump of I'm going to expand the horizons of outside the United States and work with an outside vendor who I can't even speak yeah. the same. You know, we didn't even speak language very well. And that changed things. That is really what took it to a whole new level. And so I went over there and – November of 2017 and began and I had never been to China. I went by myself and it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. Um, I'm so proud of the relationships we built there, really built all over the world, but there um, was just a lot of fun. And um, I traveled all through China that first trip. And the second trip I went in December and I have some pretty crazy stories from that, but like that, that trip um, I got mess debt that I wasn't, for sure I was going to get, but I was told it was coming. And so I got on a plane in two days to China and flew to China and committed like $250,000, $300,000 of the POs when I didn't have the money to pay for it. I was like, whatever, I'll figure it out. Like this is, and on the way there, I figured out what I was going to buy. And I traveled around. I was, I was in Ningbo, Hangzhou, Shanghai, and then back to Ningbo. And those POs wow. took the business from five million to fifteen in six months. Yeah, n- n- not n- that's that's annualized, mm-hmm. not like you know from like a monthly mm-hmm. times twelve. 
it, in six, well, maybe seven months. It took it from it changed. Mm. I mean, it's probably like more like eight million to fifteen to eighteen. Um, but you know that range. You know um, that PO changed the business, and those POs plural. And then we met two two factories there that both came to the United States in Huntsville from Shanghai and Ningbo. Two years later, to my fam- to my house for my party, we met. That was that trip where we met for the first time. And I, one of them was a very big factory, an incredible strategic partner, incredible guy, incredible family. Um, we had to kind of convince them to work with us. They were a pretty big company, and we were not a big company. Mm-hmm. And so that was a huge deal. And then on the way back, I was so exhausted. Oh, I got swindled out of money. Well, we probably should, say, you usually come back but, from trips to China like but, that, exhausted because your liver yeah. is taking an absolute beating from too many nights of the rice wine. Yeah, and, and on the on the way on the way to the airport, I had to change airports from Ningbo to Pudong Airport, and the cab broke down the side of the road, and I didn't know a cop came, and it was a story that we can talk over over Australian beers Virtual one beers. day when I visit, yeah. <laughs> um, but. Um, and so I ended up, the cop helped me get another cab. I made it, got on the plane and flew home and passed, I blacked out on the plane in between the, I got up, I don't remember getting up from my seat and I woke up in the back galley, I think it was a 777. And they had those, those, those like, um, you know, the, the um, flight attendant seats back there. And I woke up on the seat and I got an oxygen mask on me and this Chinese doctor like, like giving me like pressure point stuff. And I was like, what is going on? And they were, and the lady was like, are you like drunk? I was like, and the other flight was like, no, he's been working for nine hours. Like that's no. And I, I just, I think just exhaustion from that trip. Mm. Um, but anyway, so that was a crazy trip, but that really, really took the business to a, that took that, 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 those orders took the business to enough to like hire. And when I began to hire, and I began to interact with people with my own employees and like trying to watch them grow, it changed. Mm. It will never, that those, it didn't happen like, well, I hired them and it started, but like over like between three to eight to nine to 10 months to a year of that beginning to build a relationship with my employees and watching us grow together and the opportunity that we saw and the potential for us personally to grow, for them to grow together, that was it. It was over after that. Now I was never, I got the bug and it was, there was no going back. Is that, I mean, is that does that answer your question? Like no it's kind of a back. lot. It's a... Oh yeah. You know, well, one of the things I really like about what you said, and I was reflecting on a podcast that we've done with um, Isha Oberoi, who, who runs this, um, this business called Afia uh, Care Services, essentially a, you know, um, a home and disability and aged care provider. Um, but one, and she, she scaled massively, you know, from zero to 350 FTE over the last 13, 14 years. And one of the things that was really interesting was she said, essentially to grow the business, you got to grow yourself. You know, you know, if, if you're a first time founder, it's actually your development, your willing to take your willingness to take risk, your willingness to step into those next challenges that you're uncomfortable about. But in the absence of taking those, the business can't grow with you because it's going to be limited path. value. Uh, and especially in those early stages, and that sounds exactly what you've done. And you've kind of gone, okay, took a risk, got a bit of confidence. That seems it's to work. Exactly okay, next risk. Okay, that that looks that looks like I should do that, but I'm uncomfortable about it. But I'm going to do it anyway. And then each time, you know, you build a bit more confidence. Take the next risk. Something works out. Some things don't work out, but then you keep sort of 
keep uh, leveling up. That's um, that's really and that's kind of what I, I talk a lot about. And is like so, to me, what's so exciting about this, and why I don't have a lot of interest in selling the business is like to me is that let's see how good I can get at this. Like to me, this is a great experience. One, to you know, I hope that we can seriously improve our sphere of influence, and hopefully, we can make it big as possible. But like, let's like see, like this gives me an opportunity to like really get good at this. And um, we'll see where it goes. You know, maybe I, I peak tomorrow. Maybe I peak in 40 years, you know, but um, like our first core value is relentlessly pursue better. And that's my objective is I want to get mm-hmm. better and better and better every day and we'll see where it goes. I love that. Yeah, that's uh, that's beautiful. So tell me about you had some um, some challenging moments as well. I know there was a, a site launch recently when you sort of reflect back on some of the most difficult moments along this journey. What, what's the first one that comes to mind? I mean, I think that, that each phase of the business had a difficult, had a different problem. And they all have different problems. But I think the first problem that, I, that strikes me is cash flow, is the nightmare of cash flow and the fear of cash flow. Um, I, I remember when I was, you know, entering, issuing my second PO, and we added like a line on the PO that my wife was like, you got to add this. You got to add this rule. And it was like, if we can cancel the PO up to a week before production because we didn't want to get stuck with this inventory that we couldn't sell because you're always behind and cash is, so you're, you're outlaying this money, outlaying this risk. So I had to get over that. That was really, really scary. And then we, you know, we had, we had situations, we call it the white. So that, that thing that changed the business, those POs, I bought 30 to $40,000 of stuff that was wrong. I had to like basically throw it away. Just to go back one step on the what just to help people who aren't you know there's probably many people who are here in, in services businesses and their cash conversion cycle is very different oh, you know, yeah, from, that's the, from point. the time they spend a dollar to get a customer to the time they receive money from the customer to enable the cost of delivery it can be a very mm-hmm. different profile um, what does that look like for you so from the time that you're how does the sort of cash what's the time frame of basically spending a dollar to be able to make one and then actually receiving that dollar so, from a customer you know it's a funny thing. It depends on where you're buying it. And it depends on your payment terms and it depends on your lead time. So if you buy- It's a typical, a typical example. So in the US, you know, we'll issue something, we'll issue a PO, we don't have to pay for it till it ships. And we can, we, we can sell it and get the money back pretty close within 30 days of when we, okay. when we get it. But if we buy from overseas, especially right now with how bad the world supply chain is, you know, we, we'll outlay cash and it may be six months before we get it back right now. Yeah, right. I mean, it's crazy. Now, normally that's three, maybe three and a half, four months, but mm-hmm. um, it's a huge, and so you have to fund, and I remember we were running negative cash flow projections, trying to figure out how much money I was gonna borrow in MESDAT. And it basically, the, the, you know, you start here at zero and you just see the debt just pile up because, you know, it, it, the inventory lands, you gotta buy more before you get paid for the first order. And so it just, yeah. just keeps trickling down. It was like yeah. to generate, I don't remember the numbers, but like if I wanted, it was like, I needed like 10 grand to, to, per skew to buy it. And it would like peak at like four or five months and it would start to pay itself back. But it takes, you know, six, seven, eight, nine months to kind of go cash flow positive on an item that you buy overseas in our business. Yeah, right. Something like that. So it's a, it's a, that's a big problem. And I didn't, I didn't really understand that. I don't have a business education. Like I just, I watched the money not come back and I was like, I want to keep growing. Okay, how do I do that? And I began so how like did you, How did Googling you figure out what it. your financing options were? 
people, man. I mean, it goes back to people. It's like, you know, I learned within a month I was interviewing accountants. And I met a guy named Tom Albright who I've become great friends with. And we're I'm like building this little group of people. Like, so we go get drinks once a month. And now we have my accountant, my lawyer, my financial advisor, and my banker. But I just met with him, started, you know, going out and getting drinks with him. And he he taught me accounting. He taught me what a balance sheet was, what, what an income statement was, what a cash flow statement was, how they connect. And he introduced me. I had, we had a couple of connections in, in, in like we had a private banker that we just met. My wife's, my mother-in-law used them and we met them. And so they helped us a little bit, but the money was very small. Um, but really just, just, I mean, just get, when you run into a problem, you just beat the hell out of it till you get the answer. And that was kind of my solution is Googling it, calling people, just, you know, just ask questions until you get the answer. It was kind of my, and that was where that was. So that was probably the biggest problem and that and but like that's not necessarily like a, like a problem like oh we made a big mistake it was just something that we had we had to deal with something but, had to, but yeah, the overcome. but the cost of that problem is is you buy stuff before you can sell it before you know it works and so we had in that big po that we issued those po's plural in in december of 2017 that changed the business we bought about forty thousand dollars of stuff that was bad we had to throw away it came into the united states we call it the whiteboard award because we want to embrace mistakes because we have to move when you move quickly you screw stuff up mm-hmm. that's that's how it goes um as elon musk says mistakes are required here yeah you know and um but we bought some whiteboards and we didn't have very good packaging on them and so when they were shipped to ups they showed up broken oh, no. i mean you should have seen these you should have seen these things I mean, they were like mangled some of them some of them got delivered fine but we had to throw them away and uh, that was one of several couple hundred thousand dollar mistakes of buying inventory that we couldn't really sell. Yeah. But that's part of it, you know? And it's just, but it's, I say that now after it's over. Yeah. We've already Easy in hindsight to go, well, it was part of the learning yeah. at the time. It's a huge um, issue, right? It's painful. Yeah. And so that, that was, so that was, you know, some of the big mistakes there. And then, I think as I begin to hire, we just there's just it opens this just just Pandora's box of just screw ups. And uh, I think the the funniest one I think that you can get a kick out of is I, I don't know if you use disc, mm-hmm. yeah, um, disc profile, you know, it's yep. a personality. And so I'm a 100 D natural, um, and then adapted. I'm like 93, 94. And so when I started hiring. I had seen. I used to work for Lockheed Martin, which is a you know huge defense contractor, the biggest defense contractor yeah. in the world. Um, and um, there's a lot of like ex generals that they're leaders there. And so when I went to when I worked professionally, one of the first jobs I had as an intern for this high level executive there, and um, I was around that general, so I watched him manage. So what I learned about management was kind of from him and this colonel that I worked for, ex colonel. And so when I hired employees, I was like, you know what? We're going to do it my way. I'm like, your way's wrong. We're going to do it my way. And I learned very quickly that is not effective. Like very quickly. And it's stupid. And it, you know, it's funny as I'm sitting here, this book helped me learn that. And I recommend this book to anybody trying to scale a business. This book, Which book other is than, that? This, is, this is Ray Dalio's Principles. Oh, Ray Dalio's Principles. Uh-huh. And other than Millionaire Fastlane that began the idea to begin this. 
this book has changed that problem. Is it? It all talks a lot about what's trends. A couple of things. What's a couple of things you've taken from that book that you've implemented that have really made a big impact in the way that you've built? I mean, business? so dealing with that problem is owning that you know very little. And I thought I knew a lot, and all I learned is I know almost nothing. And and you need to when you have a disagreement with someone, you need to instead of getting mad, you have to control your emotions and you have to understand why are they disagreeing with me. That's true power, not the other way around. True power is being able to control your emotions and get what you want in the situation, not letting your emotions control you. Um, and that this book talks so much about like about like psychology and about, and I hired a, an organizational psychologist who's an executive coach and she coaches me a lot about, you know, Owen, like stand up above yourself and watch yourself. How are you interacting with this individual? How do they, how do they want to be interacted with? Um, so a lot of it was like, like it taught me a lot about thinking about my interactions with others and how I influence others. And it wasn't, oh, well, we're going to do it my way. It was what works for them. How do I understand what works for them? And I'm going to do that because that's what's going to help me get what I want. Mm. That was probably one of the biggest lessons I've ever. And then the second one and a very, very, very hard one um, is, and he preaches this radical transparency. When you have a problem, say it. Doesn't do you any good and doesn't do me any good to hold it in. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's right. You need to say it. Dude, I don't, you know, Sean, I don't like um, how your attitude was in that meeting. Um, I think that th y your response to Karen was was inappropriate and I think it, it was demoralizing to her and you were not able to get what you wanted out of that meeting because of how you act reacted with her. And this behavior has been consistent the last three months and it's not okay here. You can't do that here anymore. How about you and I work together and I'll help coach you. We're not going to do that anymore. And, and I'll give you feedback as we do that. Having those kind of conversations mm. were unimaginable to me two and a half years ago. Mm. And now I try to have them, I mean, I have them every week, every day, just about. You have to, because everyone doesn't, everyone does a bad job at that. And it's very difficult for you to understand your implications, your impact to others. Um, and so I, I hired an EA eight months ago. And it's one of the things I have her do is she, that I ask her to do is like, well, how did I do in that meeting? You know, was I, was I positive? Was I negative? How did, how did you feel that, that, that so-and-so interacted with me? Was it, was it negative or positive? So I think those are the biggest things, man, is that like, like Melinda says, Melinda worked, she was, came from the Pentagon. She, her last job was with a three-star general. And she was like, Owen, you must remember that as a leader, everyone sees what you do. And she constantly hammers that into me. And like that, like how you interact with others and being honest, even though it's hard, I, I think may be the, the biggest management lesson I've learned so far. And, and one more understanding that if you don't communicate clear and continue to communicate clear they don't understand mm -hmm. they don't you think they do you know i think something and sean thinks something but we've decided that we've interpreted our own ways and the dis disagreement creates tension until we get in sync that's the way it is mm -hmm. um well i like that the concept you know that the the purpose of communication is actually to transfer the intention and the meaning not just the words so you know you you might hear the same words and have it mean something entirely different to you i'm going hey he's got it but but that doesn't dude in my experience and honestly i've begun to so we met through wapio um and so i've begun to interact with other wapio members and i have consistently hearing the same thing as like i think one of the biggest assumptions i made as a manager is when i say something they understood it i could not have been more wrong 
And so now I am, I have read the book measure what matters and I'm implementing OKRs and I'm like hammering we I mean, like I am haggling over wording of an OKR because I know that if we get on the same page, then we don't have to talk about it anymore. And then it's all mm. digital on a platform that we can go look at. Um, but dude, that's it, man. Transparency, communication, and how you influence others. I'm like understanding that you, you have negative behaviors. And if you don't want to admit that, then you're not going to be a good leader. I'm sorry. You're just yeah. not going to. I love that because, you know, when you're trained, if you think about your background and your training, like engineers fundamentally are taught that they're sort of the smartest people in the room. They're supposed to know everything. And you've had to come in and just completely undo all of your conditioning and go, you know what? I don't know anything. And I'm going to have to be super vulnerable here and I'm going to have to be a massive learner and I'm going to have to implement constantly and constantly seek feedback and constantly seek input so I can get better so that my business can get better. And, um, you know, I think that's a, I think it's a hallmark of a great leader. I, I, I interviewed a, uh, another guest on the podcast recently and I received an email from her two days later saying, how did I go on the podcast? Do you think I could have done anything differently? What, what, what else did you notice about how I was behaving? Like just, and this is a, you know, this is a founder who's built a very successful business, you know, really significant scale, still learning, still looking for feedback, still trying to improve to your point, full commitment to getting better all the time. So, you know, I, it's funny as an engineer, you know, the way I, one of the, one of the favorite things I learned about in school was control systems. So, so how a machine can interact with this environment, you know, you know, what we can do is remarkable. The fact that we have eyes and we can, you know, inter, you know, I can see this, this, this iPad, I can touch it. Well, that's incredibly complicated to make a machine do that. So how does it do it? It has a mechanism. It has something that it can move and do things and it has sensors. So it has feedback. That's how a machine learns and gets better. Humans are the same way. Like we have to get out in the world and go screw up and mess things up and listen and watch. And to me, the people that listen and watch the best and know and learn from it are probably the most successful people on the planet. Like I, I think that I'll never forget what um, Andy Jassy said, the new CEO of of Amazon. You know, just recently, two weeks, three weeks, no, I guess about a month now, he's been CEO. He said Jeff is the best learner I've ever met in my life. I don't think that's a coincidence that Jeff is also the richest man in the world. Mm. Yeah, I think that's so true. So true. I know that you and I could speak for hours, but I'm conscious that we're going to end up running out of time. I'm sorry. I want to to ask you a question. I I do this. No, no, that's good. That's good. It's it's (laughs) fabulous. Um, When you think back on the last, you know, the last five years, right? Um, In particular, last three and a half, where things have just been accelerating. What are you proudest of? The people I've hired and the team I built, without question. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I mean, it's almost like it, I get like an emotional response when I think about that. Like the people that I have in my big office and my offices in Chicago, like, I mean, I, words can't describe, like, I'm so proud. Like some of them have become like best friends. Like that's what I'm proud of. Like if this thing crashes and burns tomorrow, we never reach the billion dollar goals. Like, that doesn't matter. Like what matters is, is that the people that we touch, because like at the end is dude, like what's, what's the point? Like, like again, it's like, why are you in business? And it's not to make money. And if it's to make money, then it's like, I think that um, um, Henry Ford said, you know, if, if you're in a business to make money, it's not a very good business. There's not a very good business I want to be involved in. And then, um, and then like, I remember Phil Knight said something like, um, you know, one of his quotes was like, you know, business is not about to make money, but we're going to need a lot of money to get there. You know, it's mm-hmm. like money is such a huge piece of it, but it's not the, the purpose. And so, 
you know, I've just loved hiring people and working with people. And right now I'm really excited because I think I can start hiring again because the business is, is, is starting to throw off some more money and we're building these forecasts. I'm like, yes, I can add this piece people and this people and I'm getting excited again. But it's like, what? and then I learn from them. Like I'm hiring these smart people and they're teaching me all this stuff and I'm getting better. But I mean, that's, that. I mean, I could talk that's all day exciting. about that, but no doubt about it. The team I am I built and building are by far my, my um, proudest of, 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 from a business Love perspective. That. So if you had your time over again, what's one thing that you would do differently? Knowing what you know now. From age from zero, zero or, or, or oh, five, from five years, years ago. ago? From five years ago. From five years ago. Read this book a year earlier. Read Principles earlier. Starters. Um, we thought bigger, faster, and 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 this book was it kind of the impetus of that. Is like, you know, it's ironic. So I played golf in college. Um, golf is all here. I mean, you, you got to be able to shoot par, but shooting par is not that hard. But to go from par to on tour is all on here. Tour, yeah, and, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't. I played golf with guys in high school and college that play on tour. Guy in my high school was played on tour. Um, guys I beat with and played with. No one played quite as good as them, but I could have played like serious golf, but I was weak here. Business is the same way. It's no different. Is that you have to get out of your own way. I think that I didn't – I think that when you're seven or eight years old or ten years old, you think anything is possible. And then you become a high school student and they beat you down to get a good job. And people becoming someone like Jeff Bezos is not possible. You know, becoming a, a famous entrepreneur is not possible. Becoming a famous athlete is not possible. And that, that's how I felt. And then all of a sudden I woke up three years ago and said, this shit is possible. Now, now, now becoming Jeff Bezos, I mean, that's, that's a whole, I mean, that guy is unreal. He's, he's unreal. Like I'm not saying that, but like, you can build a serious, enduring enterprise that actually infects thousands or hundreds or millions of people. That's possible. But the second you don't realize it's possible, it's not possible. And I think it took me too long to realize that. I mean, and luckily I'm only 32 and I got, you know, hopefully a long time. But I mean, I, you know, I've talked to this, this young man named Philip who was 21 years old. He understands that. And I'm trying to help him understand it. I met him and he told me, I'm going to do $100 million in revenue before this is over. I said, why $100 million? You're not going to be happy with $100 million. Dude, you're 21. He's got like a 3 or $4 million business. I go, $100 million is nothing, man. Why Why 100? Why not a billion? Why not 10 billion? Like, like what, why? And so I think that was, that kind of clicked about a year and a half ago, two years ago, that, that I think that, that your brain just gets in your way and you got to, get it out of your way and, and, and go. And I think one of the thing is you need to think about objectives for what you want in life and what you want out of work and your family and whatever it is you're doing and focus on that. And think it goes back to like, you know, we talk about a machine is it you, and that's, what's funny. We're trying to build a lot of software in my company and you cannot program unless you tell the machine what you want to do. And it, it's this, 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 subtly brilliant and clear thing that is now I'm applying to a bit the business as a whole in my life. It's like, 
dude, you need to be deliberate as hell about what you want to get out of this situation. Like I'm talking about beat that goal to death until you know exactly. And that's what usually it is. the hottest uh, thing to figure and, out is actually um, what you want. I didn't. It's, it, it is hard. What do you want in life? Yeah, sounds so easy, but <laughs> back again. You're gonna here have we go. To get I'm going commission from Ray Dalio. Back, I think for, is this, he says, for this book. Dude, I, I've given like 50 yeah. copies of this book to people, literally. Like anytime I interact with anybody, I give them a copy. I write them a note and give them a copy. But he says you can have almost anything in life, but you cannot have everything. And I think that it's, and I think that so thinking big earlier and thinking really, really, yeah. really, really hard about That's what amazing. you want. Well, I'm now going to ask you a really challenging question because you've just given me some really uh, amazing reflections and nuggets. I have a little segment that I do with every guest called Above All Else. And so I want you to now kind of go out into the future, right? So you're only 32, you've got a long way to go to get to your, you know, your, your yearning years. So I want you to go right out, imagining to you're at the stage where you've actually achieved from a business perspective, probably all the things that you hoped that you'd achieve or that you wanted to achieve. You started all the businesses, you, you, you've had the impact on people that you wanted to. And the CEO of the world's largest global community of first-time founders, you know, most of them still sort of sub five, $10 million businesses who are just hungry to figure out how they're going to scale. She asks you and gives you a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to share your wisdom um, with this group of people. And she says, I want you to finish this sentence. Above all else, the three things that founders have to get right if they want to scale are, what would be your three above all else's? relentless pursuit for knowledge build systems build systems because you have to build systems and standards but you cannot automate things that are not standardized and if you can't automate you can't scale the third thing believe in people believe in people empower people believe in the people that work for you or you're not going to go anywhere i mean that's the truth is it that's like you know we kind of look back at like one of the, some of the biggest things i've learned is like i when i quit my job i said i'm, ne- I'm never hiring i don't want to deal with that think about that change and what i just told you the greatest thing i've done so far is the team i've built like you have to learn to work through people if you want to scale um so i mean be relentlessly learning because you can't do either the second two things if you aren't willing to learn it two build systems and relentlessly pursue, relentlessly pursue them, um, improve them. And three, believe in people. That is believe beautiful. and trust in people. That is beautiful. Thank you so That's much, Alan. And look, I'd really like to acknowledge you for the way that you've tackled this journey. And as I alluded to before, I think it's so refreshing for people to hear, you know, founders who are scaling, you know, you, sometimes you put these guys that you might, you know, guys and girls, you see them in the media, some of them are just ultra confident and they you sort of, you just imagine they're just, they're just monstering everything. They're not people who've got any vulnerabilities and not having to learn much along. They've just already figured it out. But first time founders who are scaling businesses because they're vulnerable, because they're learning machines, because they're trying to figure out how to do it better and they're taking risks and they're making it happen. That is an exceptional example of the value of humility and the value of personal progress and its impact um, on on business and the and to be able to bring together a business that on the outside can look relatively you know uninteresting because it's e-commerce and office supplies and so on, but actually the the heart of this business is like a pulsating beast that's capturing the hearts and minds of your people and they're having real impact on the, your entire sphere of influence. I think that's a beautiful. Uh, a beautiful example of how business can be done. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for having me. 
I'm, I'm, you know, it's really cool that, you know, we just got, I just got into YPO and it's so cool to meet people like you, you know, who knows, you know, I think that, you know, my strategy is just put myself out there and just see what happens. You know, I, I, you know, I respond to your message, have no idea what was going to happen. And we got to meet and I can hear your story and, you know, maybe I'll meet some of the people there that, that listen to this and, um, it's just, you, know, you never know what's going to happen, you That's know, it. um, but, 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 uh, glad to be there and thank you so much for taking the time to hear my crazy story and, the crazy dream and that we're trying to make happen, make a reality. Well, I look forward to hearing some of the other stories from your trips to China on a few beers. Uh, how do people get uh, in contact with you or follow along with what you're doing? Sure. I mean, just bluesummitsupplies.com. I'm not real. Um, gosh, it's a good question. Um, yeah. I mean, just, I mean, we have, you know, like, like our newsletter is, is we have a thing called behind the blue where we like, we talk about our cultural messages. Um, and yeah, I'm on LinkedIn, yeah. you know, and, and I don't, you know, you can always message me there. Um, but I don't use Twitter. Um, probably should, but, uh, sure. yeah, blue supplies.com and, and just message me on, on LinkedIn. If I, you know, if you have any questions or anything I can help with, like I, you know, I, I as you can tell, I, I like talking about this stuff. I have a hell of a lot to learn and my opinion is what it's worth, which is free, but, um, you know, if you ever want to reach out, please much do. Much appreciated. Well, thank you so much, folks. I hope you enjoyed the show today. Huge thanks to uh, to Owen Franklin. A uh, couple of things before you go. If you got value from the from the learnings that you got from Owen today, of course, please uh, go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, uh, review. That just helps other people find it, but it also really gives a big kick to the, to the team behind the scenes who put this whole thing together for you. If you'd like to know when new episodes are going to drop or free tools and resources from some of our guests are made available, just jump on the website, scaleupspodcast.com, and you can register your email there or you can find us on any of the socials on uh, at scaleupspodcast.com and unfortunately the only one we're not on is twitter because (laughs) it's not big for our audience Um, but remember that the only thing that can guarantee that you won't scale is actually giving up in the first place and you can hear through Owen's story today lots of periods where stuff was tough he could have jumped off the bus because it seemed a bit hard or seemed a bit too risky but he kept going so you've got to stay unshakable in your faith that you're going to get there but you have to remain flexible in your approach you've been listening to the scale podcast i'm sean Steele. look forward to speaking with you again next week thanks very much owen G'day everyone, just a couple of quick things before you go. If you have questions that you'd love myself or an upcoming guest to tackle about challenges that you're facing in scaling your business, please just jump straight on the website, scaleupspodcast.com. You can record your message straight from your mobile by hitting the button on the right-hand side of the page, or you can just email them the old-fashioned way, questions at scaleupspodcast.com. And just a quick reminder, nothing we spoke about today constitutes financial or business advice. If you are considering making big decisions in your business, Seek out a professional who can look at your situation in detail and make sure you're getting sound, personalized advice. Thanks for listening. Look forward to being back in your podcast feed next week.